FTC, uh, glad that you've come to uh, worship with us and celebrate the Christmas season especially. Uh, today what we're doing is we're kicking off this season with a, a launch of message series called Into Our World. And so Jesus, he, the spotless one, stepped in, God himself stepped into our world and uh, about 2,000 years ago. And no matter how many times you've experienced Christmas, uh, we all need reminders of this season and why we celebrate and why this whole event is worth celebrating. Today we're going to talk about how Jesus stepped in to meet our deepest needs in, in, in our world. Next week we're going to look at how he stepped down from heaven. And that was one, one giant step down if you think about what he left. And we're going to look at what he left next week. And then he stepped out constantly. He stepped out, took action. He didn't just talk about things. Um, he was someone who did something about it. He took action. And so we're just going to kind of uh, follow the, the progression of from birth to, um, to even death. And, and on the 21st, we'll celebrate our family Christmas service, kind of try to pull everything together just before we celebrate Christmas um, on the calendar, which we celebrated on the 25th. And, you know, we can't pinpoint the actual day when Jesus was born, but uh, most likely wasn't December 25th, but we'll celebrate it then anyway. And, but let's go back to the beginning of Jesus' life where he stepped into our world and, and entered history. Matthew 1, uh, in your Bible, Matthew 1, it's also going to be up here on the screen, verse 18 through 25, and Here's what, it, here's what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Their Hebrew marriage custom was, was, was this. Marriages were arranged by parents, and so um, your parents would work out who you were going to marry. Contracts would be uh, negotiated. Terms would be set. And then after all of that um, deal was, was in order, um, the couple was considered husband and wife, but they wouldn't live together for a period of one year, and they wouldn't consummate their marriage during that time. But they were considered husband and wife, but there was this one-year kind of waiting period for them. And if during the time uh, the woman was found to be with child, then she could, then the marriage could be annulled. Uh, but if, however, she remained pure in that time, then the husband, after one year, he would go to the house of the bride and go to the parents' house, and in this grand processional, he would lead his wife back and he would bring her back to his home in this grand processional and they would begin this life together they would live together as husband and wife physically they consummate their marriage and so we read this story um, with that hebrew marriage custom in mind okay so look again at verse 18 now the birth of jesus christ took place in this way when his mother mary had been betrothed to joseph so they're in this process before they t- come together she was found to be with child from the holy spirit uh, verse 19 and her husband joseph being a just man And unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, This Greek name Jesus, it's the Hebrew uh, name is Joshua, and it's where we get this idea of... um, he will save his people. The Lord saves. The word Joshua means the Lord saves. And then verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. He prophesied this about 700 years before. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this wasn't supposed to be another proper name for Jesus. His, his proper name was Jesus, but this name, Emmanuel, would be the name that he is known in his character by. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, 
he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He didn't divorce her, basically. He didn't annul anything. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So they didn't consummate their, their marriage until after the birth of Jesus. There's just something really powerful, though, about, about looking into this scene again and again to marvel at this moment in human history. I mean, you've probably heard this story um, presented in different ways, but for us, it really ought to be a reminder to us of how God uses people, ordinary people, to be part of the story that he wants to tell. He uses, he uses people, just ordinary folks uh, like you and me, who he wants to work through in order to tell a story, in order to work things out in this real world. And if Joseph was like uh, most of us, then... When all of this happened, I'm sure he would have had an unending number of questions for the angel after the angel left. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get all your questions answered on the spot. I mean, most of us, we'd hope we'd think of everything to ask right then. But I'm sure being caught up in this glorious moment, you know, an angel, you know, well, it, he, just, he, gets, he gets some of the questions answered. He knows what to do. Um, but he probably had a bunch of other questions after he realized what just happened. Um, when I found out we were expecting our firstborn, you know, my mind started racing with questions as well. I wanted to take, all, take it all in. I started thinking about, I wonder if it's going to be a boy or a girl, you know, because you just you call it it, it for a while. And then it's like, oh, it's, it's a boy. And, and so for us, and then I had friends that didn't want to know. They would just wait. And I'm like, you're crazy. How can you not want to know? And I know that's, that's a big divide, you know. So I'm not going to get into that divisive issue. But... Um, but I was like, I gotta know. I got, how would I plan? How would I know the colors to paint and all this stuff? And coming up with the name was a real challenge. But I can only imagine for Joseph how many real issues he would have had in his mind. You know, the number of questions. Why her? Why us? You know, I'm supposed to do what? How, how's this going to work? How am I going to deal with the the questions that people say? All of this stuff. The angel just reassures Joseph, do not leave her. She hasn't done anything wrong. This, this child was a gift from God. This is a gift from God, not just for you, but it's going to impact everyone in the world. This is not the result of any wrongdoing. So tells him, uh, you know, this Emmanuel, this perfect description of this earth-shattering event. Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus came to earth, he is God dwelling among us. This is what we call the incarnation. Okay? The incarnation is this idea of a, a manifestation in bodily form. Like God manifested in in the flesh, in a body, the birth of Jesus Christ is our opportunity, or was their opportunity, to see God enter in human history. And he went to great lengths. And we're going to look at this pretty much each week. All of the different steps that he had taken um, to, to do this and to really um, to dwell with us. He entered into a sinful place filled with sinful people. He served sinful people. And eventually he died for sinful people. And this is really his reason for us to celebrate. Jesus really should have the prime time focus for the TV networks at this time. He doesn't get that, you know. Um, but he should have the prime time focus of this whole season because of what he really has done. Um, he, he is the one that stepped in to the messy world that we live in. He didn't pull out from it. He stepped into it. And it's the opposite of the Grinch. The Grinch, what did he do? He withdrew. He isolated himself. He didn't want to have anything to do with crowds. He didn't want to have anything to do with celebrations or parties or people. And so, if anything, he wanted to, you know, in cruelty, poke at people. And he despised Christmas. And Jesus, he's the opposite. You know, he steps in out of love. But somehow, the Grinch gets better TV coverage than even Jesus in uh, Christmas time. 
But God, he, he stepped into our world when Jesus was born. I want to look at a passage in John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then a couple other verses. The Gospel of John was written to clarify the identity of Jesus Christ for those who were investigating what it meant to really follow him. And so this was kind of a, uh, a book written in order to help people believe in Jesus. And for those that already believed, it was like, so they would continue to believe. It was to strengthen belief and encourage people who were believers. And for those that were investigating, it was to, to spark belief in Jesus. And so John, being a disciple of Jesus from the beginning, he wants his readers to really understand that from the, from the beginning, this is who Jesus really is. And so this is how he starts out his account of Jesus' life. John 1, verses 1 through 3. It reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He uses this metaphor of the word to introduce Jesus really as the subject of this biography that he's writing. He was the one, he was the word that was there in the beginning. And John wants to make sure that everyone's on the same page about who Jesus is. And this is the one who spoke the universe into existence. Hebrews eleven three says this By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Um, John's, you know, John and the writer of Hebrews are talking about um, God speaking through, you know, speaking in things to, into existence. But John picks up on this idea of Jesus being the Word, and he was there from the beginning. He goes on to say that this, this Word, this, uh, he, this, you know, he, he describes him as the Word in verse 14, that God himself puts on clothes. He puts on human flesh, and he begins walking among us. Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word flesh there, it means skin. or It's, it's just like, you know, that's our, that's our human our human clothes is our skin. He puts on skin. He dwells among them. He, he sets up his life among them. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice his description of Jesus. He's the only Son from the Father, but he's full of grace, full of truth. He's not like 50-50 grace and truth mixture. He's 100% embodiment of grace and 100% embodiment of truth. Um, grace is this. Grace is undeserved acceptance and love received from another. That's what it means to, to experience grace. It's when you blow it, you deserve punishment, and you are spared from that. Instead, you're given something entirely opposite of what you deserve. You're given another chance. You're given forgiveness. You're given mercy. Undeserved acceptance. He's, Jesus is he's the embodiment of that. He was 100% grace. He's full of that. At the same time, somehow, he is also full of truth. Truth is that which is in accord with reality. It's facts that correspond to reality. That's truth. And in this instance, truth is something that is real. It's not just a shadow. Jesus is all truth. Truth is unbending. It does not shift. And somehow Jesus pulls this off. He brought the full grace of God and the full truth about God and life out into the open for people to experience. This God who people were really afraid of, um, they, they respected his power, um, they had ideas of, they'd seen um, some uh, visible manifestations of God in their history, but here is God himself coming to live with them. And John goes on to explain why these characteristics are so important for us. Look at verse 16. And from his fullness, he says, we have all received. So from that fullness of grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. Um, this, this phrase, the law was given through Moses. The Jews thought that the law was given for us to live so that we could earn our salvation. And, and this makes sense to us as humans, that we would have a list of rules to follow and that if we follow these things, we can stay in line, we can find forgiveness from this, from this law. But God shows us through Jesus that, that the law was only meant to work kind of like an x-ray machine to show us our need for God's forgiveness. The, the law, it, it exposes our sin. It shows us where we miss God's mark. It shows us how imperfect and sinful we really are. And we can never be perfect enough on our own. None of us. None of us have what it takes to fulfill God's laws perfectly. And so, even if you're a really good person, through your own efforts, you can't purchase your own salvation through keeping the law. And so, in that way, the law is not a ladder that you get to climb up. It's not your stairway to heaven. Some people want to see it that way. Like, if I just do enough good, that includes going to church. Or that includes giving. Or that includes, um, you know, singing some songs or, or... Whatever, whatever that might be, or, or um, meeting a need here and there, you can never do enough of that stuff to climb your way into heaven. Jesus, he was perfect. He was the spotless one, which is that image on the, on the front of our bulletin that we're trying to depict. Jesus was this perfect one for us, and he paid for our sin on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could experience God's grace, and through God's grace we could be welcomed into heaven. Not because of the work we did, not because of the efforts that I you know, try to impress God with, but because of the perfect life that Jesus lived. And so Jesus, he entered into our world simply to do that, to meet our deepest need. Since we are created ones, or created beings made by God, the fact that we have not done what our creator made us to do, that's our core problem. He's made us to live in a certain way, but we've not obeyed him. We've rebelled. We've not done his will. And so because of that, we have this core sin problem that infects us all of our lives. And it needs to be dealt with. We try to make it up. But the problem is, it's, it's, we, we have to answer to God for this core sin problem. And so that's what Jesus did. He stepped into our world to give us the grace that we needed rather than the judgment that we deserved. And that, that's really the miracle of Christmas. That's the, the message of Christmas. And so experiencing God's grace, whenever you experience that, that motivates something new in us. It motivates us to respond to God and then to also respond to other people in a very different way. His love motivates us to, to love people in a similar way that he loved. If we follow him, th- this ought to shape the, shape the way that we relate in our world. Um, he, he's bridged this gap that we had. And so one of the things about Jesus, if you, when you study through the Gospels, you see he just keeps stepping into messy situations. He steps into the world, which is a messy world, but then he starts moving closer and closer to people. I was reading through the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, you see all of these very um, simple acts of movement towards people. Um, when, you know, that's just not like us. We tend to run away from messy problems. Uh, most of us, when there's, a, when there's a problem, it's like you want to just turn your eyes away from it and pretend like you don't notice it. Um, there, there's probably a few people that maybe rush into the problem, you know, the first responders. Maybe there's some first responders by profession or maybe even just by, by character in here that you, you, you move towards the problems. Well, most of us, we move away from the problem. We move to the suburbs. We move to, the, we move to um, comfort. And so Jesus, he, he steps in and he moves towards problem people after problem. You know, just, and when everyone, it's like when everyone is running out of the building, Jesus rushes into the building and addresses what's really needed. That's the picture we get through his incarnation. And then he moves towards the sick. Mark chapter 1 talks about Jesus moving towards the sick. Most of us, you know, when someone's sick, you're like, hey, let me know when you're better. I don't want to get sick. 
hey, let me know when your kids are better. I don't want to get my kids sick. Now, that's normal. I'm poking fun at that, and I say that too. Don't, you know, don't come over if your kids are sick, you know. But he moved towards the sick. There's something there about the fact that Jesus is full of grace moving towards the sick. That's just different. Mark chapter 2, he moves towards the sinners, and he gets a lot of flack for this. He sees messy people who, who live broken and fragmented lives, who are lost. They're far from God, and Jesus moves towards the people that really needed him. He meets their deepest need. He steps in. Mark chapter 5, he, he, he moves towards the spiritually oppressed, people that were dealing with demonic struggles. Jesus moves towards them rather than rushes away from them. Because he went to be with them. That's the idea of the incarnation. He, he, he took on skin, and he came to dwell among them. He went to be with them. And so he wants us to do the very same thing. The very simple message of, what he's done and how it sets a pattern for our lives. For us to continue to step into other people's world to share God's grace and his kindness. Uh, we, we need to do this. We need to just keep stepping in. Stepping into others' worlds, just like he did. Showing grace, showing kindness. We, don't, we shouldn't aim to give people what they deserve. He didn't do that with us. We should aim to show grace when we can. We should really aim to think about, what does this person really need right now? And how can I, in God's strength and power, how can I step in to meet this need? If someone's cranky, if someone's really critical, um, rather than giving them what they deserve, continuing to bear with them, continuing to show them love. When someone's demeaning, it's trying to recognize this person has value, I need to show kindness to them. Again, all because Jesus, he took this epic move towards a messy and broken group of people. Um, For us, though, there, there are many, many barriers that really block us from moving into our world just like Jesus stepped in and moved towards people. Here's some of the barriers that you see. Busyness is one of our barriers. We get all very preoccupied with our own interests. This is all of us. And we get so consumed with what we like to do and what we want to do that we fail to pay attention to the needs of the people around us. All of us can get caught up in that. Fear is another thing that is, I think, blocks our ability to move into the world. Fear. We don't take initiative because we're maybe afraid of rejection. We're afraid of, or maybe we're afraid of people. We're afraid of the messiness of, of people's lives. Or third, bitterness. could be that you're working through some hurt. And that's kind of blocking you from moving towards people. Hurt from the past, maybe you haven't really forgiven. And so wounds in your life and in your relationships can keep you and keep others kind of at a distance. And so um, that might be preventing you. Another thing is frustration. People don't seem to change. People don't like to change. And so it's hard, again, hard to move towards people. It takes a long time for people to really change. Think about the patience required for Jesus on, on earth in those three years of ministry. Think about the patience of God with his people, Israel when they would rebel over and over and over, just the patience and how frustrating that could be. That, that's a struggle that we must that we face. Another struggle that I think is more of a modern struggle for us is technology. This blocks us from moving towards people. Um, there's this, you know, distracted driving thing that is now an issue. Um, but it's not just distracted driving. It's actually distracted living, isn't it? Like we, we have our gadgets, and it distracts us from people at times. You know, and I, I recognize sometimes we're connecting with people, um, but sometimes it's these people, and then there's people right here. 40, I read these stats, I'm going to share with you. 41% of teens describe themselves as addicted to their phones. Addicted to their phones. And just this, I need to be connected. And maybe you felt that. Maybe I'll just gonna, I'm going to give these stats for teenagers, but you, you may be able to identify with some of these. Um, more than a third wish that they could go back in time before there was Facebook. Um, has anybody felt that way? A couple people. 
A fifth say they wish their parents would spend less time on their cell phones. Ouch. You know, that one, that hits me personally because I'm sure my son could say that, you know. Half of teens say they're frustrated with their friends when they're hanging out. And they should be hanging out. Instead, what are they doing? They're texting. They're surfing the web or they're, or they're scanning their social networking sites. We were, at, uh, <laughs> we were at my folks' house for, for Thanksgiving. And at one point, I looked over and had our cell phones out. And we were doing something, you know, like all of us. There's a movie playing, but everyone's just... And then someone made the comment, what have we become? <laughs> I mean, this is the world we live in, but that, that may be a barrier. And so whatever the barriers are for you, we have to fight the pull on our lives towards excarnational living. Now, Jesus, he, he sets this pattern of incarnational living, which, again, that's to step in, to take on flesh and to be with them. We have to fight the pull of excarnating which is, means to step out, basically to check out, to step out, to pull back, to pull away, and to disengage from people. That's the pull that I think we fight these days. And one of the amazing realities of what Jesus has done is he actually stepped into this far-from-picture-perfect world, and he addressed the real needs. Think about the world that you live in. Think about the neighborhood you live in. Do you, do you have high hopes for, for how that experience is going to look? I know for me, I tend to have a high hopes for my neighborhood. Like, I, I want it to feel a certain way. I want it to, to be a certain way. Um, and because I have images in my mind of how, that, how those relationships should work out. It's because I grew up in this culture watching TV where neighboring was a big deal, it seemed like. Um, I've got a picture of a guy you might remember. Wilson. You know, who doesn't want to have a neighbor who gives great advice like Wilson? You know, just good advice neighbor. Well, I've never had a Wilson like that. I can't just peer over my fence. And or, or this couple. I mean, I want to have neighbors I can play cards with. Kids can run around like that and with a little bat in his hand. Or everyone's favorite neighbor, Mr. Rogers. I have these images in my mind about my neighbors. And, and you know, this is the kind of neighboring I want. This is the neighboring I want, and this is the neighbor I want to be. Um, but the fact is, there are actually people in our lives um, that God has sovereignly placed there. He's placed them there. They are our neighbors. And when we, ter- when we use the term neighbors... Um, Jesus defined it this way. Whoever's there is your neighbor. You know, he just said, the one who's there, wherever the needs are, that's your neighbor. And so whether you think about your physical neighbors or your family, your friends, your coworkers, the big question is how can we love people that are actually there and how can we move towards them just as Jesus stepped in and moved towards us? There's a little insert I want to just ask you to pull out. It it's, just shows a variety of tangible ways that you can currently love the people in your life. So take a look at this. We've listed this in four categories. And what I hope is that you would consider these things and maybe pray through this list this week and work through, maybe there's, maybe there's one step or two steps you can take to move towards people in a tangible way, just like Jesus did. And so figure out where's the pressure points in your life. Where, where is the needs? Is the need among family? Is the need among friends? Is there a need in your neighborhood? Or is there a need among coworkers and classmates? But what we've done is tried to list out a handful of things that you could do, very practical, tangible things. And for the family, I'll just use that for an example. Express gratitude. Bless parents for the role they've played. Make a phone call to express care for a family member. Serve your parents by helping them with a project at their house. Write an encouraging card to a family member, highlighting the good that you see in their life. Forgive an offense. That's a real tangible thing, but that's an important thing. Offer to host a family gathering. Set your heart to serve during that gathering. Again, all these things are just going to lead us towards people 
and away from even selfishness and just looking to our own needs. Just, just pattern after what Jesus himself did. You've got neighborhood, you've got friends, you've got coworkers and classmates, you've all these different things. And so um, I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and our ushers to prepare to receive the offering this morning. Next week, we're going to be looking at what it took for Jesus to be, you know, become a man. I mean, what, what that journey looked like for him as far as what we can read from the Scripture, um, what he gave up. We don't often think about what he left to come here, and I want to look at that next week. Um, look at these three next steps. Number one would be begin praying daily for my neighbors through 1225. When I say neighbors, again, I don't mean just your physical neighbors, but the neighbors, the ones who are there, the people in your life who are there, but wherever the needs are, those are your neighbors. You know, and God's placed them there. So who do you need to pray for, maybe specifically? Would you pray even each day for a certain person? Maybe it is a physical neighbor across the street, down the street. Maybe it's a specific family member. But maybe jot down how, how you'll take that step. And then second, show love and kindness as you have opportunity. Maybe using that list. And then last, would you pray about giving towards the Christmas offering? Um, this Bruce presented the Christmas offering, and he's going to share more and more about um, the three different areas that that will impact. And so we want to encourage you to consider that, pray through that, and let, let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you for the, the story of Christmas. Thank you for uh, the incarnation and how you came to dwell among us. You gave us access to the Father in heaven. All of our hope for this life and the next eternity is wrapped up in you, made possible through you. So Lord, we thank you for that. Help us not to get swept away in the in just the consumerism of this season. Help us not to get swept away with just the busyness of this season. That we miss the point of it all. So Lord, thank you for the reminders from your word to lead us back to your great plan and work. Lord, I pray that you would nudge us this week towards some action steps towards real people with needs, just as you did in the person of Jesus. Lord, would you help us to follow your example and to move towards people and step into their world. Lord, we need your strength. We need motivation. We need courage. We need words when we go and talk and we serve. Lord, but I just pray you would motivate us, Lord, to do them in your power and in your name. We lift up the Christmas offering to you and just our regular offering. Thank you for how you continue to provide for the needs of this church as we grow and try to reach more people and try to help people grow up in you. Lord, help us to be faithful to that task. And Lord, thank you for the way you've knitted us together as a church family. Pray that uh, we just thank you for the sweet fellowship that we get to experience with each other. It really is a sweet time, Lord, to gather here and gather in even homes to, to share life with one another in small groups and the many other ways we do. We ask you to bless this group, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you can go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings.